Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, American honey? (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here for this one. This one's great. Yeah, I'm very excited because we, you know, we were going to initially end our previous episode, our favorite movies by women, about women, with a dedicated section to Andrea Arnold. And then we're like, why don't we just break this out and do mm-hmm. make it its own episode? Because this is one of our favorite directors that we share. You know, we have yeah. such an equal admiration for her. We love her work. We're going to talk about it all today. But just getting into Andrea Arnold here, tell me your general thoughts on her. She's got to be the the grittiest, and I mean this word with like all of the best intention, grimiest Mm -hmm. it's a neorealism and just a a visceral look at how she sees the world yeah it's it's from the streets it's from these dirty homes these awful kitchens these it's a very very specific feeling and look that she has to all of her movies that i think is just i don't think anyone else really captures it quite the way that she does and you and i have talked about how when it comes to men directing or men's general sort of characters about women, mm-hmm. the opposite is when a female director is creating male characters. Mm-hmm. I think she might be the best. She's fantastic at it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like, a great point. Part of the reason why we did the uh, women directed movies for women about women is because we are so curious and interested and forever interested in the female experience Mm -hmm. because we know what the men is. That's just who we are. We're guys. Sure. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So to see a female filmmaker speak so truthfully and such a range of male characters, I'm like, she just hits the nail on the head for as good as they are and as awful as they can be. they're, They're just so genuine. So that's a really good way to end that statement because I agree with everything you just said, but as good as they are or as awful as they can be, and almost all of her characters could be described as such to one degree or another, but she is a director who tries to paint in the canvas of real life. She's Mm -hmm. really, really interested in natural realism down to the way she photographs, you know, there's there's no fancy like crane shots or drone shots. No. It's all very, very grounded filmmaking. And all of her characters live in the gray. They all have flaws. In every single movie that you watch of hers, you're going to be mad mm-hmm. at one point at the person that we're supposed to be identifying with because yeah. they are the lead character or maybe not even the lead, but you're like, what are you doing? And, yeah. You know, as a movie viewer, you might be watching in judgment and go, I wouldn't make those decisions. But I would also venture a guess that everyone watching these movies has made mistakes in real life that when you're explaining them don't really make sense to anyone else. And, and then you look back and you're like, shit, why did I do that? I'm not saying, I'm not equating the mistakes I've made to some of these, to what some of her characters do, but we all make mistakes and we're all flawed. And I love that she shows everyone really with no judgment. No. And that's what's so cool, Mm -hmm. including the men. And there are some men in these films who do bad shit, very, very bad shit, but she's still, in the way they are depicted, it's just, you're just watching it. We are more like a voyeur than anything. And that's, oh God, that's just one aspect of her that I love so much. There's no point in any of her characters, even in their most awful, 
there's never a point where there's no coming back from this, except for there's one. Mm-hmm. There's only one that I can think of. We'll talk about it. But <laughs> but I think that w- that was also intentionally done on her part. Yeah. There's, there is empathy. There is space for like, fuck, ah, I don't know. This is a tricky one. <laughs> you know, like that type yeah. of thing, that type of right. relationship to the character that you're watching. And she's, ah, oh, she's fucking brilliant, man. One of the reasons why these films feel so real and why they are from the streets, as you said, is because these are the streets she is from. She was born in Kent, England and grew up on a council estate, which is... England's term for like housing projects, but she grew up in a council state very similar to the one depicted in Fish Tank. So she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's putting on screen. And then her interest in art and film leads her to study with the American Film Institute Conservatory in Los Angeles. Oh. Yeah, which is really cool. I found that really interesting. And that's how she's met a bunch of popular filmmakers. We talked a lot about Barry Jenkins on our last episode. And how important her work has been to his work. But in general, over her career, this is a filmmaker who has won the jury prize at the Cannes Film Festival three times. You could kind of call that like second place, but it's still (laughs) quite an honor. She's won an Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film. She was 45 years old when she directed her first feature film. I love it. And she's a huge champion of film festivals and indie filmmakers like a young Barry Jenkins. She's been a jury president on so many different festivals. And this is a woman who has taken all of the context she saw in life and that she's lived. And that's what she wants to put on screen. Now, one of the things that sets her so apart as a filmmaker, is this style we've been referencing. This, like, boots on the ground, you know, the camera's often at eye level. Whoever she decides her main character is in her films, we are with that person. We're just there, like, the camera's right next to them. We rarely leave their side. In one instance, for the entire film, it's a cow, and we never leave that cow's side. Like, there's no master shot to show us this farm or anything. It's so, so unique and so interesting, and she has a style and a voice as a filmmaker that, I don't know, I think of Ken Loach is the biggest the biggest one here, really famous British filmmaker. He's won the Palme d'Or twice. He directed Kess, I, Daniel Blake, ton of stuff. But even like, there's some Michael Haneke in here, there's some Lars von Trier in terms of her visual realism. She's also influenced people like Noah Baumbach, Steve McQueen, so many more. Then the biggest thing, I think, My biggest selling point to you when we first started talking about Andrea Arnold is that she is a huge fan of the 4-3 aspect ratio. So what that means to non-nerds is 4-3 is, think of it like an old television that was a square. You're basically presenting a square image. So if you are watching one of her movies like Fish Tank on your widescreen television, you're going to have those black bars on the sides, not on the top and bottom of the screen, but on the sides. And we're going to talk about why she does this, but let's just start here. We're talking about her style of filmmaking, this glorious 4-3 aspect ratio. I mean, I love 4-3 just because like, I feel like there's just no other better way that you can just communicate the idea that we are stuck or we, mm-hmm. I mean, it can mean a lot of things. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all really however you want to use it, but you can use it to uh, convey claustrophobia, you could use it to convey that you want to stick in a certain headspace with this character. You can convey it to 
there is no you're trapped mm-hmm. you're it's whatever type of closeness tightness there is no getting out of what we are seeing or what we're meant to be feeling there isn't wiggle room you don't have a scope to relax some people don't like seeing those types of things or being forced. no especially not now yeah 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 but we do, <laughs> and um, that's why we find this device to be so effective is because this is what it can do, and she is always so intentional and specific about why she's using it, even though she never changes it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we feel different versions of what 4.3 can mean, all within the same movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And just uh, I'm just going to hammer home this. I'm just going to hammer the 4.3 aspect ratio a little more. So way back when movies started, like that was the actual size of a piece of film was 4.3. So when they projected it onto screens, it was a literal square. By the late 30s with like Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, they had moved to what we now consider more traditional aspect ratios for movies like 235. Every movie theater screen is now widescreen. So then jump to television. All televisions in the 50s uh, up until like the 2010s were squares. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it was. So before almost every movie, we'd see that thing, you know, this movie has been formatted to fit this TV screen. That's because all the movies we grew up on, all those VHSs and shit, that was all a compressed image because they were chopping it out in post. So my whole point is 4.3 rarely exists today because that's how everyone was forced to start. And it's just assumed like, we have widescreen now. We have IMAX. We have CinemaScope. Let's open up our worlds. That's what we're going to do. So when a filmmaker makes the conscious choice to shoot a movie in this ratio, they are doing it for an incredibly deliberate reason. Yeah. That's my whole point. And many of the reasons you just illustrated. I think the main reason she does it is to, you're just right there. You're there Mm -hmm. with the characters. You're there if she wants to go in tight on their hands. You're there on their hands. This isn't a director who does a lot of like, who does a lot of wide establishing shots where she's showing a master of the city and we get to take it all in. You're just there. It's, it is a very claustrophobic way of lensing and staging everything. And we're going to get to the cinematographer. She works with a lot, Robbie Ryan, later a bit, but. It's so important. I don't, I genuinely don't think without Andrea Arnold, even if you haven't heard of her, even if you haven't seen any of the movies we're going to talk about today, her influence is all over things like The Lighthouse, which is shot oh. in a square ratio. Uh, Waves and Grand Budapest Hotel are movies that where their aspect ratios are changing, but they rely for large chunks on the 4 3 aspect ratio. I can't, I feel like such an asshole when I do this. I was trying to do it with a straight face because I'm going to throw myself in there too now. But our last movie, I'm Alive, uh-huh. what our, the last movie I directed and you starred in playing me, I did it strictly because of Andre Arnold. It, it was a, an absolute direct influence from her. I was really, really interested, strictly 100% because of her, her work, namely Fish Tank. I've always been interested since then to film in 4.3, and it was so great to have the chance to do that. Yeah. Another aspect of her work is that she commonly casts unknown actors as her mm-hmm. leads, and this is such a smart decision. I totally get why she does it. It's the same reason Paul Greengrass cast, at that time, all unknowns in United 93, because 
She wants her own world to be its own universe. And when you have really famous people in your movie, it's hard to transcend that you're like watching a really famous person. So you're going to identify with them. Like, you know, we all can take stuff into movies. Like, I don't like that actor for X reason, or I love that actor. So we're taking that in. But unknowns are a clean slate. And she said versions of, you know, that wasn't a verbatim quote, but she said versions of like that, that, you know, when you see someone for the first time, that universe that she's creating, it helps it feel more real. And she's 100% right. Because of the street-like stories that she's telling, you do kind of feel like if you don't know who this actor is, there is no predisposition. Like you are just sort of like, oh, wow, this is just that person. Right. And even when you do have, um, like I'm thinking of American Honey with Shia LaBeouf Mm -hmm. because he probably is the biggest name that was in one of her movies. But just because of who he was even at that time, he fits. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he looks like, I mean, he was like just in this nomad lifestyle at the time having issues i think it's probably safe to say and yeah it it feels he fits right into the universe yes he he does and even in we'll get to it but even like when he appears like you're sort of like oh all right like this is this this works and i think that's such an effective tool to use as a filmmaker is to just put people that we've never seen because if you put someone in that like you dirty them up you put them in the right right costume and wardrobe and all this stuff we're still looking at that actor as like, oh wow, look at the uh, look at the depths they're going to to transform mm-hmm. into this thing, and it could work because if it's a good actor, they'll make it work. That's what the job is. But to have a person you do not know, you have no relationship to prior, and you're just seeing them in this world, it really does make a difference. Yeah, it's an absolute clean slate. Mm-hmm. Like even and some of the people who have been in her movies weren't really that well known at the time and now have gone on to have big careers some of them have never been in a movie again and it's like she happened to find someone and then capture lightning in a bottle and then we got this movie and hey if that's all the acting they're gonna do the movie's still there and it'll live forever and it's so great so so before we get into her work here she has a brief filmography but an incredibly impactful one I just want to do kind of a <laughs> a final hard sell here of her her overall work in general some of this work I'm dead serious it changed my life it changed how I view the female experience and it did change my life in the way that how I viewed art and how I viewed my own filmmaking was almost rewritten by the language she created. I mean, if you go watch Milk and Fish Tank, like back to back, and then go watch my movie Earrings, like it's just, I there's so much that I took from it, just stealing. And, you know, American Honey is like in our mailbag episode, someone asked us like our dream project. And I almost described that movie like, yeah, put a bunch of women in a house and we just watch them be. It's all realistic, like young women living life, being themselves. So that's what she means to me as a film buff and a filmmaker. I really cannot put enough emphasis on how important her work has been to me. So just one final hard sell for me before we get into the work here. She's not afraid to go there filmmakers that just really, really cinch in that bit of extra Mm -hmm. that doesn't even need to be there, but they're not doing it for shock value. They're doing it just to deepen. It's like a little twist. Like she doesn't do it too much. 
Mm-mm. It's never overkill. It's it's for it's intentional for the right moments, and those I think are specifics to what makes her style uniquely hers. So I think she's just a wonder. And one more thing here, something that is honestly very important to her work, and one of the things I respect most about her work is her frank depiction of female sexuality. Yeah, and she yeah. shows it, like you're saying, like in terms of going there, in terms of getting real. Almost every film we're going to mention today has very, very intentional sex scene or sex scenes that are absolutely about sometimes plot development, but always about character development. And you're like, okay, what is this about? Like things, the sex starts one way, and by the time that act is done, things are changed for better, for worse, whatever it is. It has purpose. It has intention. And that is one thing I have always really respected about her, that she's like, no, I'm going to show this. Like, sex is a part of female life. Like, yeah, okay, we're we're going to go there. Deal with it. Yeah, it's so different from the range of her movies because I think she uses sex in every single one mm-hmm. to to yeah. one degree or another. Sex is a part of the stories that she's telling. Even Cal. Oh, God. Jesus, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Unfortunately. That's good for her. <laughs> good, good for her. <laughs> It, it, they mean different things, and every time you see a sex act from her in her movies, I love what you said. It either for, it sometimes it forwards plot. That's crazy. It does. It does. If you think about it, like where the characters are emotionally in their lives before that act begins versus where they are after it is different, and that is because of the act that has occurred. And sometimes, like I said, that is for better or worse. And the reason why I'm mentioning that here is because we're probably not going to get into any of those scenes, honestly, uh, yeah, because yeah. they may, you know, Give ruin away. stuff. Yeah. So that's why we're – I'm just talking in general. Like, if you can't describe a sex scene from a movie because it can, quote, give something away, that's usually a scene that's being done with intention. That's all. And that's something I appreciate. God damn it. You're right. Yep. See? <laughs> See? Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. My in to Andrea Arnold and – perhaps quite a few people, was Fish Tank. And the only way I found out about that, how I heard about it, I was getting into Criterion. It's like the late 2000s. It, the film came out in 2009, but I think Americans could get a hold of it in 2010. I, that's when I saw it, at least. And I had seen a film a few years earlier called Hunger, directed by mm. Steve McQueen, that completely blew me away. That starred a guy I really hadn't heard of named Michael Fassbender. He became one of my favorite performers overnight because of his work in Hunger. And then Fish Tank was going to be his next movie. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to see that. We're going to go in order, so we're going to get to Fish Tank. But On the Fish Tank Criterion, which is a must-own for any fan of art house indie cinema, she has her three early short films. Mm. And I saw these for the first time. They're all these are on the Criterion channel now. These are probably on YouTube. But I saw these all when I bought that Fish Tank DVD. So we're gonna start with Milk here, which she made in 1998. This is my favorite of the three. I'm just oh, this is your favorite right now. Um, it is, it is, and this um, I have one note here. This film is ten minutes long, and I'm not bullshitting. This made me view the female experience in a different way. It gave me perspective that I just don't think I'd thought about before, and I I I remember watching it, and when it was done, like just sitting there, fucking dumbfounded, and like shaking my head and going, oh, like oh, wow. I didn't 
It was one of the most impactful short films I had ever seen, honestly. Like, I had already made my first short, but and I'm, I still stand behind that short, but the ones I made later had way more of a thematic, cinematic vibe, and that's because of stuff like this. This is one of my favorite short films ever made, Milk. I completely agree. Oh, this really is. This is... Um I think you're the one who told me to watch this when we started doing production for There I Go because you were like, all right, start watching some good short films. Mm -hmm. Because we don't really talk about short films much on this pod because there's, unfortunately, there's not a market. So it's not. There just isn't. There's no market. I mean, that's what's crazy is that almost any short film, genuinely, almost any short film is available online for free, yeah. including the ones you and I have made, including the ones yep. she has made. Some you may have to do a little more digging for, but they're all out there. Uh, you know, public service announcement, if you have a short film password protected on Vimeo or something, just let that password go. Just yeah. let that fucker fly free. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Put it out there. Let people see it. Put it out there. So, there's not any theatrical market for it outside of film festivals. Yes. That's what is a bummer. But whenever a filmmaker includes their own or any short on a DVD, I always watch them. I mean, I just love it. But yeah, a lot of filmmakers started with shorts. So many. David Lynch. I mean, so countless, countless. And some of them, even the biggest filmmakers still step to the side just to do a short far and away. Yeah. Milk, it just hits you to the core right from the start. Every single shot, every single cut means something. This is a great example of the power of a cut. This short film. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize that cuts aren't just the next thing that we're seeing. They're communicating time. Mm -hmm. They're communicating a complete transition from where these characters were to where they are now. All in, in just like that. There's an economy to storytelling that makes for an effective short. Even if your short is all in one shot and it's all takes place over one scene, you have to be getting information across quickly. So when you have the gift of editing in a short, you can so show that, you know, unprotected sex cut leads straight to pregnancy, like yep. not even pregnancy, labor. Like yeah. We, we all know what happened in between. We, we know what happens during yep. those nine months. Like we get it. We get it. And just doing that. And she does that a couple times in the movie. Not quite that big of a time leap, but where you're like, and she never loses you because you're no. just going from here to here watching this woman's experience. And wow, it's just, it's a really profound movie that's only going to take you 10 minutes to watch. So yeah. hop right on it. And there's nothing about it that's boring. Like you said, like no. shot one, we're, we're just, we're cooking, we're going right up into the end. And this thing tells an entire story in 10 minutes. It's oh wild. my God. And, and like, and different ones. Yeah. The one yeah. that she's on and then the one that her husband's on. Mm -hmm. It's just an astounding piece of a short film that everyone should watch. Yes, absolutely. Three years later, she releases Dog, made in 2001. This is another 10-minute short, and it's a tough one. It's a tougher sell than Milk. You know, it's called Dog for a reason. Fuck. But if you watch Dog, that's like, you see the genesis of Fish Tank in there. You know, you see the threads of her style and the stories that she's interested in telling and the characters that she wants to depict. You see these seeds that will blossom later in her features. But dog, yeah, tell me about your experience with it. Honestly, this is actually one of my favorite portrayals of, of one of her main characters. Yeah. It just, it, what it does to me is like, I watch it, I watch a short like this and I look at this girl and her and her journey throughout this short film. And I'm like, man, girls just like they have it so much rougher. 
Yeah. It's just not it's true. It's yes. not fair. Because <laughs> all this girl wants is just to be treated nice. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And and she has a love, done... kindness. Yeah. She's not asking for much. Right. And yet the life that this short shows is giving her nothing. She's not a bad person, as some of her characters are. And some of the decisions that some of her characters make, this is one where I feel like this is the black and white. Like, so when Mm -hmm. I was talking about how good people can be and how bad people can be, you've kind of got the spectrum where there isn't a lot of gray because she's just such a nice, decent person who's just looking for some kindness. And then the person that she's trying to get this from is just not a good person. In any sort of Not a of good way. dude. Not no. a good dude. No. At, at all. And and he does, for me, the most unforgivable thing a person can do. Well, it is called dog for a reason. Not a good one. Fuck. But I like that in the scope of her entire filmography, that this is the one example of black and white, not a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool that she experimented. Even if she didn't know she was doing it, if you look at what we've done is watch her entire filmography... This is the one example of just that. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, God, yes. Two years later, she makes a short film called Wasp. This one's a little longer. It's 25 minutes. We're going to talk about what the film is about. But this wins her the Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film in 2004. And it is a great early sort of tone poem to Fish Tank. I'll, I'll go into a little bit of what it's about. It's about a young, irresponsible, poor mom She puts a date with a guy before the needs of her children. And this leads to her making simple but extremely reckless decisions. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen if you go have some beers and shoot some pool with a guy while my children just take a little rest time out back? Even if one of them is an infant in a stroller and they're out back outside of this grungy bar. It's like... That's where this movie lives. Like, it's not, it's impossible to watch this and not judge this mom and not go, like, what are you doing? Do you not understand what's happening here? And it's like, oh, fuck, maybe she doesn't. Uh Maybe it's going to take something bad happening or the threat of danger happening to wake her up and to get her into the life of motherhood. And that's what this is all about. And it's expressed beautifully in 25 minutes. They're not all 25 easy minutes, but God, I just, you can see why I won the Oscar. That's, you oh, know, yeah. what, what more do you need? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to bring up one of those specific pieces of imagery that she, oh, yeah. that I was talking about earlier. To speak to this character's complete recklessness, she starts the movie by leading her kids to fight this other mom yeah. in the middle of the street. In this fight, she ends up not doing so well. Mm-hmm. She's wearing this dress, and it cuts to, during this fight, the dress lifts up, and she's not wearing any underwear. That reality of this situation and this fight is happening amongst everyone's kids in the middle of the street in daytime, and then all of a sudden that happens, it just makes it that much more real in a not a good way. Like It's just sort of like, yeah. and then there's that. It just does something to you if you saw that in real life. 
that you're like, wow, this is as real as something gets right now. And it's not pretty. It's another added component. You're like, okay, like Jesus, that's how worse can it get for this woman? Like what more could go wrong? And we should say like, these aren't teenage kids. Like these are young kids. Yeah. Like I said, one, yeah, they're no, children. Are children. One children. Of like in a fucking stroller. Can't talk. Yep. It's yeah, this is, this is a bad influence we'll say. And she is telling us that right away and even though we may judge her she's not doing it with a judgmental lens and that's so easy to do with editing with other characters going what the fuck is wrong with you you need to wake up you don't hear those speeches in these movies you know no and it cuts from that shot to one of the Mm -hmm. kids seeing that then we get to understand that this kid is seeing this too losing their innocence perhaps sure but that's the reality that she's painting for us and then it's it there's no more need to like you know on her end of showing talking about it's just like nope that's boom right there moving on to the next scene oh my god and you know what's so cool about these shorts is that with some people like Ari Aster made you know if you think he came out of nowhere with like hereditary and then midsummer he was making really fucked up horror shorts for a while I didn't find out about them until he became famous but they're all out there my point is, if you watch one of these shorts that we're talking about by Andrea Arnold, because you don't know if you want to commit to one of her features yet, they are such a good representation of where her feature work is going to go. Yeah. Watch Milk. Like, if you own this Fish Tank DVD, and that means you possess the sh- these short films, you got to watch them now. If you have the Criterion app, just you got to watch these now. There's no reason not to. And I'm sure they're all on YouTube somewhere, but 10-minute short hard sell. Yeah. I love that we spent this long talking about her three short films because they deserve this yeah, much I know, airtime. I know. Like we're going to get to her features now. She has made five feature films total, one of her latest of which is a documentary. We're going to talk about that, Cow. But let's start with Red Road. And I oh. want to say that yes. this is one that I went back to retroactively, basically post-Fish Tank. Fish Tank was where I started. Going back to Red Road, this is a tricky one to talk about because I don't want to give any damn thing away yeah she makes this movie for one million dollars it's shot largely in the dogma 95 style using handheld cameras using natural light this was a style that was pioneered by Lars von Trier by Thomas Vinterberg so it lives it, it doesn't follow it perfectly if you like love those movies it it isn't as bare but what the movie's about is that Kim Dickey in one of her earliest roles She has a job watching surveillance cameras all day, and one day she catches someone in one of her cameras, and could it be them? No fucking way. Is it possible? She never thought she would see this person again, and now she must confront them. So there's your setup, and I promise we're not going to reveal the payoff, but it is absolutely worth it, and it is not what you're expecting. There's just no way. I mean... The whole thing is set in a housing estate in Glasgow, and this is, you know, I I don't even have like an official ranking here, but this is just right close there to being my second favorite film of hers. Like, this is an A-plus movie for me. I watched it two days ago preparing for this, and I'm just sitting there like damn near on the edge of my seat wondering, you know, because I didn't remember like every little beat about it, and Kim Dickey is just, fuck, I mean, where this movie goes is... Jesus Christ, it stays with you. It, and you just watch this for the first time, right? Oh, oh, oh God, gosh. tell me about it. I can't wait to talk about this. Man. We, you and I have not talked about this movie at all, ever, except right now. Let's nope. do it. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was fucking, it was wild. 
the pacing of this movie is different from any other movie that she's mm-hmm. ever done. Yes, I think. it's very patience it's, testing. Yep. This is probably her main character that's like the most put together, well presented. She has a good job. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, on the service, she seems like, okay, that's that's a woman on the bus that you're like, you know, you give a nod to. She's not like, yeah. she's not digging in the trash for food. We'll put it that way. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. And and because, uh, and that's that's just really the reality of her other characters. Yeah. And, but she's, there's a bleakness and a numbness to her. There's a disassociation. And, you, you know, I didn't know what this movie was about. So I'm watching it and I'm kind of in this nebulous field with her but then i'm realizing this is also her job mm-hmm. like this nebulous field that i'm in is what she's in oh the character like yes yes and then also like what i noticed about the cinematography that i really liked is that it's not really ever clear what she's looking at mm-hmm. it's 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 it takes a lot of patience for an audience member i feel but in a good way because you're trying to make out what she's looking at through these pixelated screens Mm -hmm. with a certain level of intention that's a little bit more than what you would normally give to any other movie. Yeah, it almost makes you like literally lean in like I was on the edge of my seat. Yes. And and I do want to say that this only lasts for like the first, you know, like act of the movie, basically. During this setup, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. And I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this pod who hasn't seen this that wants to watch it, turn up the sound. Oh, good. The sound design of this movie is actually one of the biggest things that I took away from it. There's not a lot to it. There's just this ominous that's Yeah, like in those control rooms. And it grows specifically like when it does. Because I actually noticed it specifically because of subtitles. Mm -hmm. Because I actually had to put... On because the, there's such a thick accent that another public I had service to, announcement. Everyone, watch your movies with captions. Yeah. Every movie in any language, English, whatever language you speak, watch them with captions. You're gonna learn so much cool shit. Case in point, keep going. Because when that would happen, it would write in the captions a specific hum that would we be hearing, and then I would notice Humming it intensifies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But I was yeah. like. Dude, okay, she is trying to communicate right now. It's like, all right, already now that we're leaning in, lean in a little bit more. There's something mm-hmm. going on with her. It's those hums are reflective of what's going on in her mm-hmm. gut. It felt like to me. Like it wasn't her head. We're in her headspace. This was visceral. This was a compulsion that she needed to investigate, to explore, and we don't know what it is. And I'm not going to give away what it is no, because that's never. the we movie. Would, never would. Yeah. This rumbling, this bubbling to the surface of something is going on is the tension that makes this movie so compelling to watch. That's all captured through sound. Yeah. Oh, God. I fucking loved it. But can we talk about Clyde? Yes, sure. Go, go ahead. I mean, we can in... We have to be, I want to be a little careful so we can talk generally, but... Yes. But yes, get into it. So... <laughs> This dude captivates me. This actor, I don't know who he is. Tony Coran. Yeah, he's great. Tony Coran. Yeah. I would never want to like be in a room with this guy. But yet, as the course of the movie goes on, I see the appeal. I understand a certain masculine energy that this guy is putting off that can be attractive, that can be alluring. And it's it confused the shit out of me in a best well. It confuses way. her. That's, that's it. Confuses the her. Point. I think that's, that's one point. of the 
intentions of the movie is like that's one of the core themes of her work honestly is what provokes this intense feeling of desire or sexuality within you even if it's not good a lot of the intensity in her films that are the characters are feeling they're they're conflicted by it they're like Mm -hmm. i don't think i should be feeling this and yeah this plays but this is all done without dialogue it's all done with like emotional expression or just watching a circumstance unfold that's why these scenes that we're talking about these sex scenes are so important to the movies I'm serious. The way he invades her space, mm-hmm. actually anyone's space, the way he invades people's spaces, because he's a bigger guy too. There, there's something so dangerous and like really like, dude, back up. I do not want you near me. But then she lets you in a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's, it feels to me like I'm like, okay, it's, it's actually kind of okay. Mm-hmm. He, he kept me on a tight rope. I did not know where to go with him. And that entire time I'm with him, I am on an emotional tilt. I don't know how to feel. And it's brilliant. He's, he's very, very good. Yeah, so many of her characters have done bad things, but they are not evil people. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the things they have done, or sometimes she shows us the things they do, you're like, Oh, that's clearly an evil person. But then we get to know them a little bit. And you're like, fuck, this isn't, there's more context here now for why these things are happening. Whether that's quote unquote good or bad, I don't really think she's interested in answering those questions that definitively. Yeah. Nor does she want us to. And I think that's what is so mesmerizing about her work, that she sets up these scenarios and not trying to justify everything these characters do, not at all, but she can see some light. Like like we said, there's a lack of judgment here. That's all it is. There's a lack of judgment on everyone. I really love that actor. That's all I, I can't I can't keep saying it enough. Yeah, he's so good. He's I mean, again, a really good performance that she was able to capture. I think there's a vulnerability to him that you don't expect up top and then that comes out and you're like yep. man that has to be credited in part to the director like it just has to be <laughs> absolutely yeah. 100% it yeah. has to be that's exactly mm-hmm. what it is it's not just him and that vulnerability is countered with like really the grossest of masculine types yes. of energy yes it's not crazy. a perfect person now we're going to get to her second feature this is a little movie called Fish Tank, made in 2009. Again, released stateside. I don't even know if this was in theaters, but that Criterion hit in 2010. This is one of my top 10 films of the 2000s decade. There is, It just is. It is a singular coming-of-age film about a fiery teenager named Mia, oh. played by Katie Jarvis, finding her own identity sexually and otherwise. She lives in an East London council estate, which I said is like London's equivalent to housing projects here. And she lives with a mother who does not seem to like her very much. A younger sister that seems destined to be worse off than Mia, even. Michael Fassbender comes into the mix. This is him, as I mentioned, right after Hunger, but right before Shame. And it is one of his best performances. There's a looseness to him that is so revealing in rewatches, like a looseness to him early on. And again, another hard film to talk about, but Fassbender comes in as the mom's boyfriend and you see this extremely rebellious teenager, Mia, how she starts to adapt to this. And of course, she doesn't like him at first because that's what we expect. But then living in that gray, going where we don't expect, it gets... Tricky. 
And this is one of the most, I don't know, just one of the most non-judgmental films I've ever seen. And when it gets to certain sequences, mm-hmm. kind of like really like its last 30 minutes, you're just, I'm watching it going, I feel like I should hate everyone involved in this, but she's portraying it with such a level of empathy that I can't help to feel at least a little bad for everyone's circumstance from her to him to the, certainly to the younger, younger sister. Like you just kind of end up feeling bad for everyone. And that's where we start with fish tank. (laughs) Tell me about this one for you. Dude, like Uh, it's like the opening 10 minutes. I just remember thinking, what a terror she is. Yes. Within the span of 10 minutes, she goes and does all of these pretty awful things. She's just antagonistic. She's fighting people, people who seems like it used to be her friends. She's saying terrible things to her younger sister. And in turn, the younger sister has adopted this attitude and persona of saying like horrendous shit. And then her mom and her just... Yeah, they don't click, but she's this yeah. kind of instigating all this shit. Yeah, and you're like, what the fuck is – why is she so – such a terror, like you said? She's a hurricane. <laughs> she just comes into every yeah. situation and just causes complete chaos. I hated oh, her. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. absolutely hated her. Like, I, I watch this and I go, oh, you are the reason that I just – like, I can't stand – people your age <laughs> but again like that's not all she is mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. this movie goes on and you get to be more and more of her reality and you start to see the way that she lives like again something andrea arnold does that it's like i always look at her kitchens mm-hmm. the kitchens in her movies oh good call are just the grossest fucking uh, things yes like, you don't even know how they cook in there. It's just like when, when Fassbender's making uh-huh. that tea in the morning, and it's not even his house, but he's just sort of making his way about finding it. And like the dishes that are piled up, the... the it's a grungy, it's not a desirable pla- place to live, certainly. Well, because this is this uh, Mia's environment, you start to kind of have a little bit of empathy just because of her circumstance. Mm-hmm. These, this is not a great place to live. She actually is doing her best. Well, that's what we start like, to. That is what is yeah. revealed just by watching her, not by yeah. dot monologues, yeah. not by anything like that. But she's not as hard solo as she is, or with a no. friend she makes a very platonic friend. She's not as hard around people like that friend or solo that she appears to be. So it, it seems to be like she's putting on a sh- like a persona. She's adopted this persona as this tough ass young girl and i can't go out in these streets and drop that i gotta stay hard and that's where the empathy comes from and she and she just doesn't know any other way exactly it's the, exactly like that's the thing it it, it 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 she's either kind of curious and open but as soon as something comes in her way that emotionally triggers something else it's fight it, it, yeah there, there is there is no other option in it and i think it's fassbender that like calls it out mm-hmm. first they're having a nice day in their in this situation something's happened that she just doesn't like so she starts acting out and she's giving it all to fassbender he's just standing there and the mom is like fuck you mia and he just goes no she doesn't mean it yeah in that moment you know that she doesn't right. actually that's he how can see like through it. yeah. it's through someone else he sees through it he goes nope she's just she doesn't know what else to do right now. 
So she's just yelling at me and saying some pretty mean things because she just doesn't know what well, to do. Well, if we unpack that specific scene a little more, we can say that one of the things Mia clearly enjoys doing a lot, but doing in private, is dancing. And dancing to like hip hop yes, videos, yes. dancing to her own music. She has like uses what she has and she gets a lot of enjoyment out of dancing. And Michael Fassbender's character, I love that he's into like kind of disco, kind of like 70s music and he's always yeah. playing it. And he convinces her in one moment, like, just let it go. Let's just dance. Like, we're in a parking lot. Nothing's going to happen. She, you know, she's reluctant. Then she gives in and starts having a little fun. And, like, maybe we even see her smile, like, because she never smiles in the movie. Yeah. What sets her off is when her mother comes out of the store she was in and immediately starts laughing at her daughter and dismissing her, like, look at you. You look like a fool. That's what sets off. She doesn't go off on the bomb. She does that every fucking no, day. No, yeah, every day. Here's yeah. a brand new target. So the heat seekers go in on him, and he just watches this flip because it, it literally happens in a millisecond. Mom starts laughing. Mia flips mm-hmm. out. Not at, again, not at her, just to the man who's standing here. And he tracks all that. And it's like, oh, wow. These, I mean, <laughs> this mother and daughter pair they're just not good for each other because the mom isn't even that hard no. when she doesn't know that the kids aren't around with michael fassbender she's like sweet i mean she's definitely a lust she's definitely a drunk but she's there's a tenderness to her and it's like mia there's a tenderness to you mom there's a tenderness to you can we talk can we sort this out but nah they can't that's that's not the world they live in they, no, live they in can't miscommunication oh yeah and and It's tough. Like, there's those times, too, where, like, the mom would say something to Mia and, like, throw something at her head Mm -hmm. and just say something, like, truly awful. And that's why you also get more empathy from Mia because she's just like, God damn, girl. Like, I would, too. I'd I'd probably be cranky and mean as shit, too, if I was treated like that. Yep. One of the things that I always liked about this movie is, like, as hard as Mia comes across, did you ever notice that every morning that they show where she wakes up? It's the best looking that the day's ever going to be. Yeah, it's the brightest. Yes, and things get more dreary throughout the day because this is – it's a very beautiful looking movie, but you're in a drab setting very intentionally. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good call. At first, I thought it was just her bedroom because she is always waking up in her bedroom and you got these really nice bright sky blues. Her comforter is is like Mm -hmm. pink and yellow, it seems, like very – Nice colors, and we're always kind of opening up on her in a way that's just sort of like, oh, wow, this is actually nice. And I thought that was just her bedroom until she wakes up on the couch one day, Mm -hmm. and then it's the same thing. And I go, oh, she's starting the day with this hope almost, and then it just goes to shit throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, I want to say this is a really funny story. So young Katie Jarvis, the way she got this role is that one of Arnold's assistants spotted Jarvis fighting with her boyfriend like on a train station platform they were just really going at it and that got the wheels rolling to offer her this part and such good casting I mean this is this is probably the best example of her casting an unknown that she literally plucked a real person out of the world and put them in these scenarios with professional actors like Michael Fassbender is incredible in this movie he's so good with her their chemistry just the way that he knows I mean in that one the second time she meets him he's like coming over and she goes you're such a dick and he just walks by and goes I know and it's like that's a perfect response to this like don't engage with her she's just a fiery teenager just walk in and go I know and it's um man oh, i just love that i love that that's how she got the role that she's just fighting with her boyfriend at some train station it's hilarious dude that 
That's incredible. I yeah. I love that. That's she like if 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 she if she didn't enter into a relationship with a guy and they didn't have a fight on a train station, this would never have happened. Michael Fassbender, real quick. You know, this is like if you've seen Hunger and you've seen Shame, most people agree those are two of his best roles. That's just like an objective fact, certainly for me at least. This is right in the middle of that, and this this is a risky, risky character to take on. And I was. I was frankly interested in watching this in the era of Me Too, and this is the crazy thing. It still works as effectively as it did in 2009, and that's because of the lack of judgment she's putting on her characters, and you just have to, it's a dangerous but necessary film. I mean, this is a great movie to watch and have a conversation with someone about it, and it's probably unlikely you're going to come to it with the same point of view. That's what's so cool. Like When you're talking about these movies that live in the gray, this is why we have this podcast, because this is what we're talking about. It's a little difficult to talk about all these movies and all the the toughest scenarios and situations that their characters face without spoiling things. And I don't want to do that because I want people to go check these movies out. But this is one that will m- leave you thinking. That's what I'll say. Absolutely. And I really think only Andrea Arnold could have made this this way. It, it's a testament to both her and Fassbender, because this is one of those roles where I don't see anyone else doing that. Yeah, I mean, he was he was like around and then hunger like that was just a huge sensation for him. So, I honestly don't know the full story. I I would and <laughs> the way I imagine it is she saw hunger and was like, there's my next male lead for my movie. Great. And it was, you know, clearly he's into her vibe, like the way that she films and everything. He's so loose. His style in it is so good. Like, I forgot how carefree his character was and how just like, you know, he just has this relaxed quality to him that I did not remember. He's very disarming in that way, to be honest. So he balances everything that is needed for this performance. It's a perfect performance Mm -hmm. from him. Yeah. To be honest, like it really is like there's not a bad note in that. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. If you're a fan of his and you haven't seen this, you have to see it because he's it's as good as his best work. A hundred percent. And I love the uh, like these very tender moments in slow motion that happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, they happen at the best moments. You know what that reminded me of was Raging Bull because he uses slow motion and Raging Bull in the times you would not expect. Like you expect to see slow mo when they're like fighting, but he waits till like that bloody ass sponge is soaking on his back and you just see this like yep. this horror or when he's walking back to the ring and this when she like jumps on his back for that piggyback ride just cuts a slow-mo and you're yep. like whoa there's a lot being communicated here with no words yeah. there's also one shot in here that i just really loved it's the shot where she's she goes to see him at his work mm-hmm. and she's standing in between the arch of like the garage door with all of those giant blue cranes oh, yeah. in the background. Yeah. But it just I felt like that symbolized like how much is going on in her in her head at all times. Mm-hmm. And and it's bigger than her. And it's dangerous. Like it's machinery. Like there's she she can't do anything about all these things that are going on in her head. Yeah, because that's one of the few compositions where we're like a little far away from her. And it's like uh-huh. the city is like almost like enveloping her. I don't know. Maybe they did have all these conversations on the day. Maybe they did storyboard it. But maybe. we're still having that feeling. And I think that's the intention of that is to, you know, she's oh, she's yeah. in this world that she's not used to. Like now, you know, she's not in that housing estate anymore. This actually leads to a really good, if we're done with Fish Tank, to Robbie Ryan. 
her cinematographer who who has shot a lot of her work. He's done it in the 4-3 aspect ratio. He, sh- he prefers to shoot on film, but he also has shot digitally before. But this is his credits for her include Wasp, Red Road, Fish Tank, Withering Heights, and American Honey. So he has done, he is absolutely a huge part of the Andrea Arnold language. And before we get into like some of our favorite work from him, I just want to real quick shout out some of his other credits that people will likely be a little bit more familiar with. Like Ken Loach, who Andre Arnold was very influenced by. He shot The Angels' Share and I, Daniel Blake, that won the Palme d'Or. And then a few more that people are perhaps more familiar with. Slow West, which stars Michael Fassbender. The oh. Meyerowitz Stories and Marriage Story for Noah Baumbach. The Favorite for Yorgos oh. Lanthimos. And he shot his next film, Poor Things, which is going to come out next year. He shot Come On, Come On for Mike Mills. So... The cool thing about Robbie Ryan is that he adapts to the needs of the director. And that's why yeah. I myself didn't realize that all these movies were shot by the same person. Because, like, The Favorite and Fish Tank look completely different. And they both look completely. absolutely masterful. So, like, and the movies he did for Loach have a completely different visual language than his work for Arnold. And I love that. He adapts for the story and the director's style. So just wanted to give a quick shout out to him. That's all. That's talent. Oh, yeah. To be so specific with her, Andrea Arnold's style, and then, yeah, to bounce around and do, like, the cinematography in Slow West, that's some beautiful stuff, but done completely differently. Totally different. And it's made really close. It's made, all these movies are made, like, very close together. So it's not like he has his 10 years of doing this style and then his 10 years of that. Like, he's bending to the needs of the director. Like, all those fucking crazy wide-angle lenses and fisheye lenses in the favorite. Like, I love the way that movie looks. I fucking love that thing. I love it, yeah. He's nominated for an Oscar for that, which is awesome. His only Oscar nom. And that works for your guys, too. Yeah, exactly. That style is really, really great for him. You know, Withering Heights is... How many times has Emily Bronte's beloved novel been adapted? It started in the 30s, and Andrea Arnold felt that this was material that she wanted to take on. So... I will say that Withering Heights has never been experienced like this, which is genuinely never leaving the side of Catherine and Heathcliff. So, I mean, there's one, like, I mean, genuinely, literally, there's one scene when the two of them are walking, they're like walking through a field and he's behind her and they're falling in love. And we, we kind of adopt his point of view. And I swear to God, it looks like her hair is getting stuck on the lens of the camera. Like, that's how close we are oh, to wow. her. And it's just, it's a small shot, but I, I don't know. We're adopting this point of view, and the movie's full of shots like that. I think, I honestly think the cinematography, Robbie Ryan's cinematography, could be the best aspect of this movie. It is, it's a slow brew, for sure. This is not your mom's version of <laughs> Withering Heights. And I think because the movie is so unconventional, people at the time and perhaps still today, they just didn't know what to do with it. It didn't make a lot of money. It doesn't have a large audience. This is coming off of Fish Tank because this was released in 2011. And I'm like, when do I get my hands on this? And if this came out in American cinemas, it was not anywhere within like a hundred miles of me. I don't even, maybe it had like New York and LA week release and then I, it wasn't ever available on any streaming. And then it, I didn't see this till like years later. I think this might have even been right before 
American Honey because I'm like, wait a minute, I never saw that and I just bought the DVD, blind bought it. So I mention all this because I've talked with a number of fans of Andrea Arnold who thinks that like she went from Fish Tank, took this little break and then did American Honey. And I'm like, no, there's a supremely unique adaptation here and Arnold completists should see it. That's my that's my pitch for it. But it is not my favorite of her works. I think that's that's okay to say. Where does this rank for you with though? Because you said Robbie Ryan is like he may have been the best part of it. Mm-hmm. Where does this movie rank with his cinematography? Well, for her movies, what's crazy is that it's so bleak and it's that it's so grim, but it's so I mean visually, like literally, but it's so committed to that. Like the whole thing looks like. They did not even have a generator on set or an extension cord, let alone a light. It, you know, it's oh, wow. all very, very natural. I do want people who are fans of hers to see it, but you know, I know you haven't seen it. And it's if we're hard selling Andre Arnold for someone who hasn't seen any of her work, I'd much rather you do, you know, Red Road, Fish Tank, American Honey. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about now um, the her first American movie. Yes. And this is also one of um, the movies that we've seen together in no, theaters in 2000. 2000- <laughs> I'm laughing. Do you remember what, what happened when we saw this? Oh, my God. There is a story. <laughs> one thing I'd never do ever, ever is go to the bathroom in movies. I don't do it. I just don't do it. Oh, and this thing, that's right. You know, you did. Arclight. Rest in peace. I hope to bring you back. The cool thing about Arclight, just uh, like Alamos, you get two trailers. That's it. But sometimes they have the guy come down and they fucking talk and they introduce the movie. So you're delaying it. Like I knew I wasn't going to have to use the bathroom. And then it just hit me. It happens very rarely. I was like, oh my God, I have to pee so bad right now. Like I can't hold it. Looked at my phone. I'm like, <laughs> damn it. There's still about an hour left. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to be right back. But, and I, it was very quick, very fast. And I came back and I sit down and I'm just watching it and I'm putting everything together. And I look at you very slowly and I go, did they have sex? And you look at me and you go, they had sex. And I went, yeah, it's probably important, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I was like, damn I, it. I remember that specifically because it was happening and the, the sex scene in that movie that when that happens, it's, it's a very, very big part of the movie. And I remember thinking as it was happening, I go, Oh, this is the worst time they could have done this. Oh man, that's why you. That's why I never go to the bathroom. I swear to God, I haven't gone to the bathroom since. And that was like that was. I mean, it's happened to me like three, four times in my life. I just I time it out. It's easy. I time out. I'm going to see my what are you watching recommendation. I'm teasing out a little bit again after we record this, and I'm already timing it out. I watch how many liquids I'm consuming. I'm a sociopath. And this one just caught me. So I'll never forget that. We're not even talking about the movie. Sorry. Sorry, folks. I'll just never forget that moment. I just sat down and was like, no. that was probably an important scene, wasn't it? Damn it. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But tell us what American Honey is about. This is uh, her very genuinely authentic American film. It felt like to me, like after like watching everything else, that she brought everything about her previous filmography mm-hmm. to America. That's what it felt like. You know, even from the opening shot, you've got these kids and they're dumpster diving. Yeah. And, and, and like watching this lastly now, I'm like, oh, oh, there's nothing. There's nothing new under the sun here. This is an Andre uh-huh. Arnold opening movie. But to American audiences, this is the first thing that they've pretty much seen if they haven't seen Fish Tank, because that's probably the easiest or the most no- notable one that would have would have been known. Yeah. All of these performances are freaking amazing. 
What's the main girl's name? Her name in real life is Sasha Lane. The character's name is Star. So Sasha Lane, who this was her first movie. A newcomer, yeah. Just again, just literally plucked out of like real life. I think Andrea Arnold like ran into her on a beach or something. Like it's it's just something like that. (laughs) And she's so captivating to look at. She's just like her hair, her tattoo, her face. She just has such a unique look that you kind of can't take your eyes off of. And I think that's what makes this movie work. It's like three hours. Yeah, it's a long one. It is. We're on her basically the entire time. And never once do I ever want to leave because she just got one of those faces where I'm like, man, I could just like I could just look at your face all day and be completely interested. It's so crazy how well she can communicate so much emotional information without ever having been in front of a camera before. It's I I don't even crazy. Yeah, I can't even like understand it (laughs) just like a natural i guess genuinely and you you balance that with you know and i'm just gonna you know i regardless of you know the personal issues of shia labeouf's performance cannot be understated enough in this he's just he's incredible he's just really fucking good yeah i mean we uh, yes this is it's a tough conversation to talk about him because i mean that i was I appreciated that you would watch that John Berntal interview that he did with him because that's um oh yeah yeah we don't get a lot of interviews like that now with people who have been definitively canceled and who have attempted to change their mm-hmm. life and are on the path to redemption is uh, we're, we're talking about real life here we're not talking about American Honey like is Shia LaBeouf's road to redemption uh, worth it should he be granted that if you recall I'm sorry for this tangent I thought this might come up though but. At my uh, bachelor party, actually, I was like shitting on him, like in front of all the dudes. And I'm like, nah, man, mm-hmm. I used to love this guy. It's over for me. Like I read this profile, yeah. what he did to FKA Twigs, like fuck that, man. I'm not, I don't mess around with this stuff. Yeah. In saying that, I've never seen someone, never in my life, in celebrity culture, in my real life, uh, actively and publicly try to atone for those things, which is, you know, he's been out of it for two years. Like we haven't really heard from him. Socially, he got dragged into this don't worry, darling stuff, which really was not fair, I will say. It's just, I, I mean, it's a lot easier to punch down, I'll put it that way, as opposed to punch up. And seeing that interview with John Bernthal, I'm like, hmm, this is, this is interesting. You don't, the, the slate is not wiped clean with me, my friend. And I think he accepts that and understands that, but I'm rooting for him. I'm going to say that. I really, really am. I'm rooting for his sobriety. I'm rooting for his... Um, what seems to be a very deep concentration on Catholicism. I'm rooting for all of it and I'm rooting for, you know, performances. And I think it's final thing is I think it's just really cool that he's how he talked about his wife in that interview. I thought that was, I, you know, seeing a man be that vulnerable talking about the woman he loves, who's Mia Goth, who's the star of X and Pearl, two movies that I love that anyway. Yeah. We, we have to talk about Shia LaBeouf cause he is, uh, Anyone watching the movie and every single review of this movie, even if the movie's too long and it's too sparse and it doesn't have enough to latch onto, everyone liked him in it and everyone praised him. And there was even some talk of like, could this sneak up there for like a supporting actor, Oscar Nam? And yeah, he's a guy with his demons. You know, he is a man with very, very deep seated demons that I'm rooting for him to work on those effectively. That's all I'll say. It doesn't take away the shit he's done. And I, that's something that I got to, you know, come to terms with. Just in, in my own little private world, but uh, he is great in this movie, and I I wish him well in real life. I genuinely do. I agree, and here's the deal. The bottom line is all anyone can ever do 
with whatever depths of evil that they may steep to, if you're just actively trying to be better, what else? Like, that's it. That's all you can really say. Yeah. That's all that one can do. You either, you have two choices. You either stay and continue that, or you try to be the best version of what you can, or you die. Like there, there's, there's no in between. Yeah, exactly. That that literally is it. Like you stay being a shithead, you, uh, you fade yep. into obscurity. Like I'm gone from public life, or yes, you die, or you publicly are like, I'm trying to atone. Like I, I don't even give a shit if I'm going to be an actor anymore. I don't. I care about being a father, a husband. I care about being spiritual. Like that was what was interesting for me to watch. That I've never heard someone just r- literally willing to like throw it all away. The career, I mean in service of having a better life and a better being a better dad and being a better husband and a better human even if it wasn't in public yes yeah it, correct correct yes yeah yeah you could be doing all of that work uh, you could fade mm-hmm. away completely no one knows he could be that guy that's like man whatever happened to him mm-hmm. there's just nothing that you you can't ask anything more of anyone you know you can still have your feelings and you can still have your opinions about how you view that person but at the end of the day like if he's actively trying to do the best he can. I would, um, just real quick, uh, final point on this for me at least, I would really encourage every like, um, I'd really encourage every dude to go watch that interview. Oh, and yeah. I let, you know, those are two like, John Bernthal's like a man's man. And the reason why he has that podcast is that he's all vulnerable, real conversations. Like there are tears on it. It's not this like alpha male pumped up thing. That's, it's the antithesis of that. And Seeing a guy like Shia LaBeouf, who used to consider himself so like pumped up and have all this bravado, and seeing him just sit there being like stupid, fucking ignorant, just being dumb, being dumb. That's what I was, just dumb. It was a it was a self assessment in the way that, in which I had never seen, except by people who have um, had falls in their life and committed to you know a program like AA and dedicated their life to something like that. Like you see it working, and I I don't know. I'm rooting for him. That's all. Yeah. It, it can yeah. work. And, and I am too. And th- this was uh, one of my favorite performances of 2016. Yes. Back to American I, Honey. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yes. He's great. The film. Yeah. It really, he's always been one of my favorite actors to watch. There was a certain point the mm-hmm. transition happened. The chemistry that Sasha Lane and Shia LaBeouf have in this is really what lights this mm-hmm. movie on fire. You're, you're watching these three hours with this crazy road trip across America is just I think it's probably some of the best chemistry that Andrea Arnold has ever had in any of her movies between two actors. Mm-hmm. It's just on fire. It's like burning through the screen. It's great. Shout out to Riley Keogh, one oh, of our God, favorite. I love her. That, oh, I love her we, so that much. That we mentioned. She fits in an Andrea Arnold story like peanut butter <laughs> yeah, she, and fucking jelly, man. That You that really is... feel like she's that girl. So l- let me, uh, okay, before we get to her, just a little setup. So Sasha Lane is this, she's playing this teenager who is out on her own. She's named Star. And she joins up with this like ragtag group of teens, early 20-somethings who they just travel around like middle America selling magazines door to door. That's that's it. And this is That's Andrea it. Arnold's American set epic. But And like we said, it's long, it's broad, it has intention, but there's really no core plot. You're just following her around and seeing all these different circumstances. And the leader of this group, you could say, quote unquote, leader is Crystal with K, played by Riley Keough. And the, I mean, the second you see her oh. when she's kind of interviewing Star she's that's where the title comes from. She's like, oh, you're a Southern girl, an American honey, just like me. And 
I mean, the way she smokes, the way like she wears her clothes, I, she just fits. Like if you have never seen her in anything else, you could definitely say like, is that another unknown that she just plucked out? Like mm -hmm. she looks like she has movie star appeal and quality, which she does. God, we love her. And so does Shia. Cause a lot of other, the other people yeah. in this ragtag crew are unknowns. Like I've never seen them before or since. And everyone looks like they belong. There's no movie star who is in transformers sitting over here. It's not like that at all. Elvis's granddaughter is not the leader of this group. Like everyone belongs. It's so cool. The 4-3 is really like, it's so effective here. It is every time she uses it, but I just wanted to call that out about how one of the reasons why it's so long is because it will just like linger on her for, and you see her like making her mind or we're with her like going, should you go into this situation? You know, this happens a few times where we're like, oh God, are you, mm -hmm. you really want to do that? Going back to like that wasp feeling like, oh God, don't leave your kids there. Yeah. You're feeling that yep. like, oh God, don't make this decision. How's this going to turn out? And we're spending longer than usual in these moments than we're used to. It's not something I mind in certain films like this, but you're staying with them for longer, but it's, it's worth it. It is, it really feels like an epic just set now right in the heart of America. It does feel like three hours, but not in a bad way. But it feels like I just trekked yeah, across yeah. America. If you can convey the feeling, even in the slightest, that as an audience, I just went on this trip with you. I saw all these different parts of the land and I got to feel certain ways about them that I can take away from this movie. That is a hell of an achievement. And she got that across. I really felt like, wow, we just went on a journey. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's like two hours and 43 minutes, just saying. And with credits, you can like chop a little off. I'm just trying to get people to watch it. People here, 235 sounds better than three. It's all. Well, I guess that, yeah, I guess that's true. It does. It does. But I mean, if you think about all the movies that fucking come out nowadays. Oh, they're don't all get me started on this. Over two this hours is the wrong platform. We'll probably do this as like Oscar talks come out or more. Just that how like the, that seems to be, we, we've even done this. I've done this rant before that that's the new norm. Like the three hour movie is like, yeah, that's where we are now. That's so weird from when we were yep. kids. Like the two hour and 15 minute movie was a little weird when we were kids. That's like, okay, the two and a half hour movie was the Oscar movie. That's what that was. Like, yep. The three hour movie was like, what the fuck? That, that was Titanic. Like that's what the, or the yep. English patient. That was Titanic. Yeah, that was Titanic. Now, I mean. Everyone has a much healthier appetite for TV, so I guess some people just think, this is just going to be like three TV episodes, but in a movie. Anyhow, <laughs> we're going to get to our last film here, and this is, wow, this was a tough one to watch, and it's going to be a difficult one to talk about. This is a documentary called Cal from 2021, only 94 minutes long. You do feel all those minutes, I will say, but it's a documentary about a dairy cow named Luma. It makes for a tough sit. It's a challenging sit of a film because the entire movie, as I've already mentioned, is from Luma's point of view. The camera's just right there next to her the entire time. Even if that means the camera has to like shake or reset a little awkwardly, we're just right there with sweet Luma and it's a crowded space. You can hear like this maddening low bass rumble of this terrible top 40 music playing all the time in the background. It's just chaos. You know, we're on like a dairy farm. It's just, there's frenzy. Humans are not central to this story at all. And they're only depicted as like obscure background figures who are just, you know, they're just doing their jobs. They're, they're just going about their day. And we may catch like some stuff that they say, but I don't even think there was like a boom mic was put in their direction at any point. Oh, wow. But 
If you do watch this whole thing and you're locked in, you're going to see some things you may not expect. Like there's virtually zero narration, no voiceover, there's no interviews. We just watch Luma and we come to understand her tortured life because the, the film begins with her giving birth. This is, she's impregnated, she gives birth. Within five minutes of giving birth, the calf is taken away and separated from Luma, who does not appreciate this. She flips out because she wants to, <laughs> naturally, to care for her young. As she's flipping out, like one line of dialogue you can hear from the humans, you know, because they're just like chuckling and going, oh, it's okay, she's just getting attached. And it's like, well, yeah, that's her fucking child. Like, come on, <laughs> of course she's getting attached. So... So while Luma is upset that her baby, this is all like in the first like three minutes, while Luma is upset that her baby is being taken away, they immediately, immediately hook her up to automatic milking machines that should be for that calf, but that milk is, you know, being automatically pumped out so that everyone can enjoy their milk and cheese. That's <laughs> to quote Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech. <laughs> Trust me, I, I understand what a lot of people may be thinking. I'm going to get to all that because none of this is, you're not hit over the head with this. If you had narration or voiceover, you would be hit over the head. This is not a vegan documentary. I promise. I think some people watching it may think that's the intent that this movie's designed to turn people off animal products, but I actually... I didn't believe that was Arnold's intention watching it. I read a number of interviews with her after that was not her intention at all. It's just like a character study of a cow, basically, which, again, if you allow yourself the experience, is very, uh, it's just unique. I've never seen anything like this. Um, again, to quote, uh, to quote Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech, this is the reality of how you put your cream in your coffee. A cow is forced to be impregnated. She gives birth. She's separated from her calf. The owners drain her of her pregnancy milk so that people can drink it and eat it. That's what's in the movie. Shot break, rinse, repeat. This is Luma's life cycle. There's nothing else to watch. This is it. She's trapped in this small space, forced to have sex, forced to be milked, forced to never enjoy the company of her young. Rinse, repeat. It's actually pretty incredible. Like, it is a tough sit. I'm glad it's only 94 minutes long, but mm -hmm. what's crazy. This movie, when I see cows in a field, it made me view that differently because there's a few times in the movie when they just let them like roam free outside and, you know, they graze. It's not like for that long, but they're just like out there away from that terrible music, away from all the automatic milking machines, just away from the chaos for a little bit. And I swear to God, I swear to God, there's a scene of Luma watching the fucking sunset. Just like out there, just like watching it set, like enjoying this beautiful moment because it's like you could just see her thinking like, oh, this is this is when they let me out of the prison cell and I get to like <laughs> have time in the yard. And it is a tough film. It is a challenging film. I've I've mentioned this a few times like recently, and this isn't something I talk about like ever. Like you and I never have conversations about this. My wife and I never have conversations about this because I want people to do what they want. And I want them to eat what they want to eat. But I am sensitive to things like this. I am a vegetarian. I have been for years. But the, the point of this movie is to not get you off dairy. Like, I don't eat meat, but I do eat eggs, butter. I haven't bought milk in like 15 years. I think milk is fucking gross. Oh. But, you know, <laughs> if there's nothing else at a diner and I have to put half and half in my coffee, I do that because I'm a fucking hypocrite. Like, we're all hypocrites. But that's <laughs> maybe that is the point of the movie. I don't know. It's just to show you a life. And I know you haven't seen this yet. So that was kind of like a, a mini capsule review. But 
Yes, it is good. It it feels and looks like an Andrea Arnold movie. It just stars a cow, that's all. And it's exactly what the movie sounds like, but it doesn't end with her slaughter. And that's not a spoiler. I'm just saying that because that's where I thought it was going. I was fucking sweating the whole time I'm watching this. Like, they're just going to carve her up and we're going to, like, see a plate of a picture of a steak at the end or something. That's not what this is. Thank God. It's it's more humane than that, but it was... um. I don't think someone could watch this and like actually pay attention and go, yeah, animals don't care about their young. Like that's just not true. It's not true at all. They they do. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's my selling point for cow. I I rented it on Amazon for like 3.99 if people are interested. In your like basically review of this movie, you you made me think of something that we have not we have by way touched on it, but we have not really discussed that Probably one of her biggest thematic elements to all of her stories is motherhood. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, part of point. almost everything. Like she, yeah. in some form or fashion, there is motherhood being talked about in some sort of way. Sometimes it's more prominent, sometimes it's less, but it is always there. I think her depiction of motherhood is one of the most honest that there is mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's, awful like you know when you watch a movie like wasp and you see like yeah this mother making bad decisions but it's not even about that i think what you were talking about cow is what kind of like linked me to her is that there is this feeling that i get from her about being a woman and motherhood it reminds me of fish tank actually Mm -hmm. without giving it away that's all saying that bringing that cow review up it made me really connect with andre arnold's view and points of view and expressions on motherhood that's a, a really good point that's not like a thread that i had connected but yeah in milk it's important in wasp and yeah red road to a certain degree and fish tank yeah it, it is a huge theme of hers and although cow is not about humans it's still a very good portrait of that's really what i saw it as is like a a mom who like can never spend time with her kids and like she gets you know she gets to like yeah lick all the stuff off of her right immediately after and then bye bye that's it and that milk that should be that calves goes immediately you know to the automatic milking machine into the bottles into the buckets it goes it was it's a good documentary i've never really seen anything like it honestly and i'm glad i watched it because i didn't um I honestly didn't even realize it was like available and out there to see. I thought it was going to be obscure to find, but it was very easy. Just right there on Amazon. So that's Andrea Arnold. That's all of her movies. I'm so glad we got to talk about the shorts. Any final thoughts, any final selling points you want to send people before we get to what are you watching here? I think the best thing that I can say is that if you've never seen an Andrea Arnold movie and you dug this podcast... Do what Alex said in the beginning is like go and get that fish tank criterion and watch those shorts. Yeah, or just like Google the shorts. Like just just watch one of those and be like, yeah. oh, I think, hmm, I think I could venture into this world for a feature. It and yep. I just promise none of these are gonna be it, they'll all be worth it. I promise. <laughs> they all will be. Yes. All will be. So yes, if if you don't want to give yourself to a whole entire full-length feature. Find a way to watch Milk, Dog, or Wasp. And if you vibe with that, jump right in, like head first into her filmography, and you will not be disappointed. You'll you'll get a lot from it. This has been one of uh, my more favorite 
deep dives that we've done Mm -hmm. just because I, she's just incredible. Watching all of her work, like in chronological order, which I did for this was just, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really entering into a world. These aren't like necessarily the most entertaining movies, but damn, these things make you think. And they're all like, I just learned stuff from them. It, yep. They're this, so personal. This is one of my favorite. Yeah, they're so personal. And this is one of my favorite all-time filmmakers. And very few directors have had more influence over my own work. So that's my final selling point. I oh God, I just wanted to make so, so much. Her career has not only been limited to film. I should say she's probably, people are probably more familiar with her TV work, honestly. Yeah. It's like Transparent. I love Dick <laughs> with Kevin Bacon, Big Little Lies season two. Wow, that is a source of a lot of controversy. Um, maybe not even worth going into here. I was just so ecstatic that if you watch Big Little Lies season one, in my opinion, it didn't need to have a season two. I don't think that was the intention, but because it was so popular, they're like, all right, yeah, we'll spin this out for season two. And when I hear we're bringing Andrea Arnold on to direct yeah. every single one of these, I'm like, uh, I'm watching this now, and I watched the first season and like it. And I, I've seen every episode of Big Little Lies, but during the first episode of that second season, I went, this ain't her. I yeah. don't know what's going on here, but this is not her. This is not her tone, her pacing, her vision. And this is a very controversial Hollywood story from a few years ago. But but apparently Jean-Marc Vallée, who was responsible for the first season, just like took it over and re-edited it the whole thing and reshot a lot of it. And you know, that's sad for a lot of reasons. He also passed away very recently. Yeah. So young. So it just, it, not, it didn't sound like a good experience for like anyone. And I don't think it was supposed to leak that that happened, that she like got everything taken away from her. And when it did, it turned a lot of people against the show. And a lot of people we were just left confused. We're like such a smart move to hire her. Like if you're going to, take oh. Why not? If you're going to hire a visionary, you want their vision. If you're yeah. going to strip it all from them, what the fuck was the point? That's, you know, I promise I won't get upset. <laughs> <laughs> promise I won't get upset. Let's go to what are you watching here? Oh, that was so much fun. It was so good to talk about her. I will warn you, my what are you watching? It doesn't have anything to do with her. I'm just really excited to talk about it. Right. If yours does, you should go first, which I know is pretty rare, but I, I hope that's a good enough explanation justification for why you should go first on this most rarest of occasions i uh i'm gonna allow this just this once uh i i I appreciate you oh thank you (laughs) uh so yeah i'm gonna kind of go off because i kind of like piggybacking off the idea of trying to encourage people to watch the shorts if uh if you like that watch her work but if you're Mm -hmm. not even gonna do that if you have seen the florida project Ooh. I feel like that is an absolute great double feature to make. Yeah. If you were to do The Florida Project and Fish Tank, those two, I feel like Sean Baker was heavily influenced by that. and Had to have been. Had to have been. That is my recommendation for What Are You Watching? Is to try to pair it with an Andrea Arnold movie. Or if you haven't seen The Florida Project... That was my favorite movie of 2017. I know, I know. And I recently watched it for an episode that we did maybe like a year the ago. The A24 pod, A24, I think. yep. Yeah. Yep. And it had just as good time with it as I did the first. So, uh, because it, it makes me mad in the same way that Fish Tank makes me mad. These fucking youngsters. Um, Making poor decisions, living life. Yeah, this is yeah. a great like one-to-one comparison with her work. Yep. 
So that is my what are you watching? Take it away, Alex. Did you know that Phantom Thread came out in 2017? I'm just I'm just reminding you. No, I know, I do, I do. Oh, okay. I, I stand by, I stand by, I stand by. You're allowed stand to stand by, by whatever you want. It's all it's all good. Um <laughs> the only connection this movie has is how visually strong it is. Oh my, I saw a film and I'm literally in two hours from now going to see it again called wow. Barbarian. Wow. This is a fantastic new horror film. This is not like if you like horror movies, you'll like this. If you like movies, you will like this. Just uh, calling all cars. This The movie was directed by Zach Kreger, and he was part of The Whitest Kids You Know, a funny like comedy troupe that was around for a little bit. And this is his first movie as a director, and here's a setup, and I'm telling you nothing. And thank God, here, we have a film trailer that shows you nothing. Hallelujah. This, and he cut it himself. That's probably why. Yeah. Here's a setup for it. Georgina Campbell comes into town. We don't know where she is. She has an interview the next day. So she's like, you know, it's raining outside. It's dark. She pulls up to her Airbnb. Key's not there. She tries to get in. Lights turn on. Bill Skarsgård, brother of Alexander Skarsgård, son of Stellan Skarsgård. He played Pennywise in the new It movies. He's a creepy dude. He's a great actor. He opens the door. and. He also has a confirmation to be in that Airbnb at the same time. They're not saying Airbnb. They're making, you know, making up names. But it's a double-booked Airbnb house. What do you do? Does she stay? There's nowhere else to go. It's pouring rain outside. It's late. She's got to wake up early. That's your setup. That's all you're going to get from me. It's, it's a great setup. It's like, do you come in and stay? You know, I mean, I, I'll say, yeah, she, she's invited in. She comes in. There's your setup. Holy shit. There is no one. There, it's virtually impossible to anticipate where this movie is going to go. And that wow. is not done for shock value. That is not done for, haha, gotcha, fuckers. It's not that at all. This is made by someone who fucking loves movies. I've listened to him on a lot of podcasts at this point. One of his biggest influences visually was a little film called Angst, released in the 80s, oh. which is Gaspar Noé's biggest influence. And one thing that makes Angst so cool, Angst is like a, an 80-minute movie when you're just following a complete fucking psychopath around as he like tries to decide what to do, and he decides what to do, and then you stay with him and watch it. For a lot of that movie, you're just behind him on this insanely wide lens. He did that for this movie. Like, we're following people on like a 12-millimeter lens, like... It's so far back, it looks like we're in a fisheye, and it's so unsettling. This movie rocks. You do not have to be just a fan of horror movies to like this. All like, right. I tweeted, I didn't want to oversell it in my tweet, but in the tweet I said, there's some really impressive editing and cinematography, but a better word for it is strong. Like, there were editing cuts, single cuts, where I went, oh, whoa, okay, where... It, it's just good. Barbarian, directed by Zach Krager. Go see it. Go see it. I loved it. I might fucking go see it because there's not yeah. really too many movies out. And this uh, is one that this is a sleeper. I think it's going to do. It's already made its money back. It's opening weekend. I think it's going to do well. I think it's going to be around for a while. And it's going to do fucking killer when it comes when it hits streaming. But go see it in the theater. Don't ask anyone about it. Go see it. Just go see it. That's all. Ah, this was so much fun. So much fun. Go watch an Andrea Arnold movie. Go challenge yourself. It's worth it. Go learn about the female experience like we have. In all seriousness, this is a director's work who means so much to me, and I'm so glad we got to do this. 
If you've seen a film of hers or if we have encouraged you to check one out, let us know on Twitter or Instagram at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. And as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. It's been 15 years since the great movie year that was 2007, and next time we're going to talk about our favorite films from that banner year and debate if there has been a better movie year since. Stay tuned. Allie's still here, too. She's probably fucking listening to me. Um, <laughs> Hi, Ellie. <laughs> I just saw, I thought she was gone. I just saw her out of the corner of my eye. I was like, what the fuck? And then her interest in film. Hold on. <laughs> I can just hear these keys. Everything's being picked up. It's okay. Bye. <laughs> love you, sweetie. I love catching the little moments between you guys. I love it. That's just love, brother. <laughs>